let's get started. Uh, welcome to the uh, Swedish Junior Hockey Podcast. Uh, this is the first episode of season two. Um, so uh, today's guest, Bryant Perry, are from uh, now the uh, from British Columbia, but the general manager and junior coach. And we'll talk a little bit about your role in Omol in Sweden. Welcome. Thank you. Appreciate it, Jacob. My pleasure. This episode is brought to you by Scandlux, your home for Scandinavian luxury products for the U.S. market. You can find us at scandlux.com. So you, let's start with where, where are you sitting today? Because I'm envisioning that you're not in Sweden yet. No, I'm. Uh, my home is Penticton, uh, British Columbia, Canada. And, and for people that might not know, it's the West Coast. Yeah. So. What I tell everybody, I, I'm near Vancouver. <laughs> it's, then they can put up a geographic point and everybody knows the city of Vancouver. But I'm actually about four hours east of Vancouver. In the, it's called the uh, Okanagan Valley. And uh, it's really one of the most beautiful places you can live. From the border, because I live about uh, 75 kilometers from the U.S. border, Washington State. But from the border all the way up through the valley, and we have this magnificent lake called Okanagan Lake, which is about 120 kilometers long, and the third deepest lake in Canada. It's um, except for the, the, of course, the Great Lakes. Um, it's uh, there's about 150 wineries from the border all the way, I say about 110 kilometers. So, you know, it's a fascinating place. Very, it used to be a fruit. A lot of fruit trees, apples, cherries, peaches, plums, and of course, money wasn't there, and you know, times have changed, and now we're into into the vineyards and the grapes and the wines. So if you ever came here, I mean, you can go on a wine tour and have a great time. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, the I, I'll tell you, I've never been on the on the West Coast, actually, never been to California, never been to Washington State and, and BC. So what I know about British Columbia and Vancouver is what I watched on Big Timber on uh, on Netflix. So, so that tells you where I'm coming from. Yeah, great. It's a yeah, very dynamic. Four seasons. Yeah, we have four seasons. It's the, the weather's obviously because of the uh, the change in the weather climate, and uh, so we're very warm in the summer. And actually, today right now we're 33 Celsius. So it's uh it's it's a warm day. And it's actually beautiful. So if you're an outdoors person, if you like mountain biking, rock climbing, of course, water sports is front and center. And uh, yeah, we have my my city separated by two lakes. And then south side of Penticton is a, is a lake called Skaha Lake. It's much smaller, but both lakes are surrounded by beaches. And it's a big tourist attraction in the summertime. So nice. uh, the population here triples in the summer, yeah. triples in population. So yeah, but so so there's two reasons I wanted to have you on. Of course, you, you are currently in. Uh, uh, you know, your role is to be the the uh, sports director, and I know you're also coaching, so general managers of the juniors, but but also the youth side, all of youth sports in Ulmo, right? Correct. Yes. And, and then and and a little bit uniqueness there, of course, is that. You know, with your Canadian, you've been in in other countries in Europe and and long history in in Canada. And I thought it would be good to kind of talk about um, your view because you've been there now for three years, I believe, and your view of of Swedish juniors and and uh, you stayed. And uh, so so that's kind of and and then also I want to talk about your role as an advisor. And you know, we see posts from from you. Tom, uh, a few times uh, of, of people that have been signed from Canada to play in Sweden, and then some Europeans are coming to Canada. So uh, sure. we're going to talk about that as that as well, because uh, I think it'd be educational. Our, our, the, the motive or the goal here with this podcast is really to educate and inform. And one of the questions that I often get, uh, so if we go to the kind of the Swedish side, uh, and start there. Uh, what is, one of the questions I often get is, it's hard for us to know. This is coming from scouts and general managers in in the North American juniors. It's hard for us to know what level 
and how it compares. So that's kind of where I want to go today. Sure. Yeah, so, I think uh, – well, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. so let's start with Omol. So uh, sure. <laughs> where is Omol for those who don't know? Uh, and Omol is <laughs> – and, and, and how do you say it for people that are in America because it has two letters out of four yeah. that doesn't exist in the – in the English uh, language, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, let's start with the pronunciation. So the hyphen O is, uh, and the, in the letter A, uh, it means O. So if it has the two hyphens, it it would be it would pronounce that letter uh, according to how it how what how it's written. So if it's an A, it would be A. But if there's an O above the apostrophe above the A, it's O. So it's pronounced Omo. Yeah. A M L, and so for the North American, it's not Amel, um, it's Omo. And there was a movie. I don't know. You can look go look it up, but it, <laughs> they made a movie about Omo years and years ago, and it's it actually put them on the planet uh, North America and Europe everywhere. So, and I can't. I don't really want to pronounce the name of the movie, but <laughs> it's Omo. Blank Omo. <laughs> and, I have uh, yeah, so that, that one, but you get you piqued my oh, interest. Yeah. It's pretty funny, but you can it's on you can yeah, it look it up. You can type in Omo and they're famous for this. So but it's a it's a it's a little town where it's central Sweden on the east side of the Scandinavian or actually Scandinavian side of uh you know by uh, Gothenburg. And uh, we're close to Norway, not far from, we're about two hours from Norway, no, Omo is. And of course, Finland is right, you know, neck, a neighbor. And then on the south side is Denmark. Uh, but on the, on the Stockholm side would be the European side. So Germany would be their neighbor. So I'm actually on the Scandinavian, more on the Scandinavian side, if you will, but central. Because Sweden's a big country. And you know, you don't realize, everybody goes, oh, it's small. Yeah, it's small in population, but the land area is significant. So travel, and if you look uh, at people that follow the SHL, the Swedish Hockey League, which is their top pro league, and, and of course, many, many Swedish players have played in the NHL, great ones, Hall of Famers, and they keep producing great players, these great Swedish players, Um you know, these guys travel a lot by, by air to the games because it's just so far to take a bus. So, uh, yeah, it's an amazing country. And, of course, we are in the, both on the, the Western Hemisphere, so a lot of the culture is the same, actually. So, you know, in Canada, we mind our own business. In Sweden, they mind their own business. In Canada, we're friendly, but, you know, to a point, it, we, we always, uh, you know, we, we're known for our slangs like, or and we always apologize so if somebody's on the street and you happen to get in their their uh their lane of traffic we'll, we'll say we're sorry so we're good at those things and the <laughs> swedes are the same way so canadians and swedes connect pretty good and when i got over there jacob it was um for me it was an instant connect and i just needed to navigate my way through uh and and obviously show you know my my bosses and the team and the players and the community that you know, that I knew that I was going to accomplish what I what I said that I was going to accomplish, what I laid out for everybody. So, and I had a lot of help along the way and a lot of great support by, you know, my president. And uh, back then, the sport, the, the, the original sports director, Frederick O'Grin and Mikhail Enberg, those were the two gentlemen that hired me. And uh, yeah, it's been, you know, it's been a great experience for me and I enjoy working for both of them. But mostly I like the game of hockey for the simple reason is I like working with players and I like to see not just as players, but most importantly as human beings. And yeah. watch that mental development through from the beginning of the season to the end is is uh it's great to watch. So how did you end up? I think that's how we first connected, because I think I asked you a question. How the heck did you end up in Ormon? <laughs> well uh so I have some connections in Europe and uh, very grateful for, you know, those friends of mine that, that felt that I would do very well as a coach there and with my mentality. And then, of course, as the longer I spent, you know, it's like anything, the more you learn about yourself and you learn 
what your strength and weaknesses are. But I think there's a word called humility through all this because we've, as all hockey people, it's not been easy. If you've been down the road as long as I have, and there's other you know coaches that can speak the same language, I, I think we, you know, we appreciate the fact that we can get up every day and work in this business. And I tell everybody this: look, I mean, I get paid for watching ten players chase a black disc that's three inches in diameter. I mean, it's spectacular. So yeah. it's not really a job to me. I, you know, it, it's just uh, watch these young guys. I was one of them growing up, you know, uh, aspiring to be a great NHL player or one of those guys or how can I tag on to this? What do I need to do? And I think now there's so much information. Uh, we're in an overload. When I grew up, there was very little information. And now we've, now we're in a kind of an overload process. And I think, you know, so I, I, I've just taken this on and said, okay, I will apply what I've learned, what I've known. And, you know, the greatest teacher is the one through your mistakes and through the life lessons that you go through, as long as you learn from them and move and teach yourself and have good people around you, you got a chance. So anyway, you know, I got to Sweden because I was actually in Denmark through the COVID year where it shut everything down. And um, I had a connection that you know, I obviously had to get the job and go through the interview process, but I, I landed the job in Rungstead. In Rungstead, Denmark is one of the largest hockey programs, if not the lar larger Denmark. And, and you know, viably speaking, financially very, very stable and sound. So, yeah, they, you know, they felt that I was the right fit, got the job. And then two months in, two and a half months in, all of a sudden, we were just blasted and inundated with this COVID. So we were doing everything by virtual meeting. We couldn't have contact with the players. Then it became, you know, five players max. You know, you can only groups of five. We couldn't go on the ice. So at the end of all this, you know, there was um, a, a really uh, mutual respect of how we were going to, you know, try and move forward. We, both parties decided, yeah, this isn't going to work for them financially. And I said, I, I mean, I can't, you know, because I'm a Canadian, I can't hang on waiting for COVID to make a decision. Anyway, once it kind of broke through, we realized that, okay, there's, I'm not going to return. And a financial, uh, you know, what they put out that way is there was another coach. That was me from Sweden. So we both opted out and it was, there was a meeting and it was mutual. And then uh, the Swedish job, just the almost job fell in my lap. It was just like two and a half weeks later. I made a contact um, through a friend that said there could be a job there. Didn't know anything about it. Sent my resume. And uh, within the day, uh, Mikel Enberg had contacted me. And, uh, you know, within, I don't know, I think four days I was hired. So, and, uh, and why I took the job right away too is because I knew that I had the bird in my hand and there was other opportunities, but we weren't sure about COVID and, yeah. uh, well, and Frederick, Frederick O'Grin and Mikel Enberg had assured me that, Hey, we're going to hire you and we're going to make this work, you know, right to the 11th hour. And Mikel has a lot of experience with Canadians. And that was the other reason, a big factor why I took the job is because, you know, he has uh, that knowledge of how the Canadian system, you know, works. Visas and also he's pretty about navigating through the COVID. So yeah, we took that job and and the rest has been kind of history. And then every year we just been building slowly. You know, come in there and we took the junior twenty. I took the junior twenty team with my coaching staff. Great guys, enjoyed uh, and we had a lot of fun together because that was a big part of you know why you coach. So you want to show your players from a from a coaching standpoint that when we go on the ice, we work hard, but we also have to enjoy practice. And when somebody, you know, skating down the blue line trips them, I mean, you laugh at it because it's, yeah, it's just a funny thing. And because the, the players are watching the coaches going, okay, what are they going to do? So they're like, oh boy, we better not do anything. And I'm like, it's funny. And we have to enjoy every moment together. So, you know, I think as soon as they saw my personality, then the Swedish players started to lighten up because they wouldn't, they wouldn't talk to me for the first month. Okay. Like it was not a word. So, um, 
And uh, I utilize my coach as well. I really trained to uh, get respect for them. And, you know, we're now we're friends today. Like we're actually communicate all the time while I'm in, you know, Penticton. And so I learned a lot from the, my coaching staff. I learned a lot from the, from my players. And I think in term, I like to think that they've, they got a lot out of me, uh, not just in terms of, you know, learning the game, but, you know, being a good person and having humility and, yeah. and uh, empathy for these guys. Cause to find their identity in life not even hockey but every day they you can see you know their struggles and you can feel it so yeah. i try to make sure you connect with everybody every day i try to always say something to everybody before practice at practice or after practice and my goal was to get to every player whether it was for 10 12 seconds 15 seconds sometimes it's 10 minutes but i try to connect with everybody every single practice and it might not be some guys don't really like to talk much, but you can go over there and you pat him on the shin, how's your day, how's school, yeah, good Bryant, how are you, good, you know, good to see, you. I'm glad you're here. And that's sometimes that's all they need, you know. So it's helped out so, too. I've learned a lot you know, as a coach. So so yeah, so let's talk a little bit about uh, for those who so if we, if you look up Ormol on on Elite Prospects, you know. Um, just like most smaller, you know, it's not Fariastad, it's not Jurgården, it's not Leksand or Örebro. It's a small, uh, small community, small sports organization, but they have a, 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 an elite or Allaget, which is the men's team, which plays in yes. Division Two, right? Yes, Division Two. Division Two, so that's a fourth division in in. Um, so you have SHL, Allsvenskan, Hockey Etan, and Division Two. And then yep. the juniors, so the J18 plays in Division One, one, and, yep. and the J20 is in Division One, one. So it's amazing. It's amazing, actually. <laughs> but 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 it's a it's fairly common. Uh, but I think that so that right, so what does that mean? All right. So let's start with Hockey Tuan, uh, or Division Two for the men's men's uh, league. You know, so here in the U.S., you got. NHL, AHL, ECHL, SPHL, yeah. FHL, right? Those are the five yeah. pro leagues. So where does – so if you take the guys that are in Division Two, now you didn't coach them while you were there directly, right? No, but I, I ran practice. So I, I'm involved a lot in the practices. So I do, do coach the whole group, like the 20s, the J20s, and the division two, there'll be times where they will join. We'll come together, or they'll have for five guys. And the year before, we had all the imports practice with me from Canada. Okay. So, I, I think I got a pretty good handle on the level of what you're saying here. Yeah. So, so I think it's important for people to understand, like division two versus division one is a big difference, right? The the division yeah. division one third level those those guys are pretty much pros, or mostly pros, right? And and but in, yeah, in think, division two, how many of those guys are full time pros? Yeah, the imports and Mikel's different than a lot of these teams because actually it depends where you play in the country. So I think we should start there. So by region, uh, where where we are located, it's a very good level of hockey. Uh, but once you start to move uh, south, it becomes you know. The level is not the same, but west, east, north, it seems to be pretty consistent. And maybe that's to do, you know, the the, um, the the financial backing these teams have. Like you have, you need money function properly in Division Two. Yeah, because you, you need to bring you need to bring players in. If you want to be good, you can go with all seeds, but you know, at the end of the day, they might not get you over the top. They're good, don't get me wrong, but sometimes you need two or three imports. Uh, you know, to help, you know, push the group there. And you got to find the right people. Like, so it's it's a juggling act because sometimes North Americans, depending on their advisors or their agents being said to them, you know, and not from my experience, we can get into this after, but I think it's important that you recruit a good quality character guy 
And most of the players that I've seen in Omo have either played youth, which is the highest level of Canadian college hockey, what, uh, and, and what's sort of an, under their umbrella are the Western Hockey League, the, the Ontario Hockey League, and the Canadian Junior. Those are the players that fall under that umbrella in a new sport. So it's a very good level. And then of uh, Division One NCAA, there was a player from RPI. There's been players from uh, some of the Ivy League schools in Division One. The Division Three players that come to Omo, you know, Adrian College, uh, St. Norbert College, those are high-end Division Three. You know, like a lot of those players, uh, junior I, I don't think they could make those rosters in Division Three in a or St. Norbert. So the level's high. And then you will have um, a mix. Like last year, we had a player that was drafted six-round St. Louis Blues. And so what happens, these guys, they get drafted. There's sometimes poor decisions being made or bad choices. Could be injuries. Anyway, somehow they get lost in the shuffle of, you know, the, the taking the steps up the ladder to achieve their goal. And that's obviously to play in the NHL, but some guys don't make it there. But they have to, you know, be uh, organize themselves and say, okay, I, I'm not going this direction. Maybe I got to take a step back, and I got to just, you know, prove myself again that I, that I, that I can get, you know, back to where I need to go. And so Division Two in Sweden gives a lot of guys a second chance to, um, you know, to get their credentials back in order. And also, it it will will give them a, a new life in hockey. And especially if you if you come to Sweden and you listen to the people that have been there, and you play hard every day, and you come to practice, and you got to treat this like a job. And we want, and I know they want the guys to have fun, but it's important. The better you play, the harder you play, the you know the better that you are trying to help those Swedish players become better. That goes a long way in your reputation, especially in Sweden, because if you're a good player in Division Two, somebody in Division One's on your door immediately. Within two months, somebody's going to be talking to Mikel or the sports director or the manager, you know. And if you're and if you move to that level and you play well there, well, Hockey Elsvenskan, as we know, is a terrific level. I mean, so that's probably borderline. American Hockey League yeah. level. So they're right there knocking especially, on your door especially again. Especially today, right? I mean, this absolutely. year. Absolutely. Scary the, good. The level of Hockey Svenskan has gotten really, really good. And a lot of that is because they have the organizations that are there are long-time Södertälje, AIK, Djurgården. I mean, these Västerås, Brynäs. I mean, these guys, Björklöven, very, very old-time very solid foundational. Uh, yeah. And they've come from the, like they didn't start as hockey programs. These programs they started in football or yeah. soccer. Yeah. Right. And that's, so it's amazing. And they, you know, they switched gears and went into hockey, but you're right. The foundation, the culture of their program endures. It doesn't matter who's there. They have a philosophy. It's like Feliastad. You know, they have a philosophy on how they are going to, and they've got back to it. They got they 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 got away from it for a couple of years, but now they've got back to that. You know that traditional. We want to have this type of style of play. We want this type of Swedish player, uh, but they're not. Uh, you know they're they're also open to bringing in the uh, imports of from all over from uh, Canada, United States, even Europe. And uh, yeah. but you can see the culture of these teams, and and that's why they're so good. But the no. but the player also good recruiting, good recruiting. Money in Sweden, I know it's dropped down, but you can make a living. Uh, it gives you a good lifestyle, and you know, it, like guys that are trying to play, this gives you some hope that well, maybe and, you can get back. And so I'm looking at the at the roster for this is the uh, twenty. So this is the, the new roster. It's got three imports. Well, four imports, but. Uh, one one Canadian, two U.S. players, uh, but they're solid. You know, you know, coming right out of college, a couple of them are D three, yeah. but one one of them I think is a NCAA 
I think one of them played at at University of Michigan and Miami and University of Miami. Solid, solid background. So I mean, yeah. these guys are not now. Are they the are they the, the the first liners in in NCAA? No, those guys are going to go in and and play in the ECHL or 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 AHL or NHL. But you know they've played. You know they're solid players. So my point that I'm trying to make this in this discussion is Division Two, although it's the fourth level in Sweden, it's it's pretty good hockey. And yeah. and and then the fun part about it is. Uh, so, so you guys play in the uh, which? Are you in the southern? How, how's it divided with Division Two? Yeah, it's in four divisions. There's a lot of teams. Yeah. So you got north, southeast, west, and uh, yeah, I know I, I don't know the exact number, but it's I think it's over seventy teams. Like yeah, but, yeah, but it's it's amazing how many yeah, teams and, and, and their rivalries. We're in the west. Yeah, we play in the west. Yeah. Okay. So, all right, let's switch to J20, which is where you, you – so you're you're coaching both J18, J18 J18, and J20, and then you're in charge of the the, 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 the youth programs there as well. But uh, Division I, uh, so you have – let's talk about the different divisions starting in, in, in J20. You have J20 National, you have J20 Regional, and then you have J20 Division I. Uh, so when you come in from from the outside, and because I'm sure you've watched some of the J20 national teams out there, which one's the closest? Fagestad? Uh, yeah, uh, no. Yeah, they will. Not the Fagestad's 18, I believe. Yeah, they're, I didn't know 18. which one is is the closest geographical that you would go and yeah. watch. All Bruins, yeah, would be two 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 and a half hours from us. Yeah. All right. So when you look at J20 National in Sweden and you compare that to your background in Canada, how, do, how does it compare? Yeah, the national program is outstanding. So the level is very the, technically good. They're very skilled. They work. They emphasize you know, a lot of skill development, puck control. Uh, you know, size passing, you see the skating, the speed, the tempo, of the game. And um, so the, a lot of those players are coming now to Canada because, you know, we haven't talked about the BCHL, but they've become independent and they broke away from Hockey Canada. And they this morning I read that West Kelowna Warriors recruited two Swedish uh, J20 national players. So they're equivalent to, and so if we want to talk about Junior A, and how you break it down. The USHL is on its own. I mean, they're their own entity. They have they run their pro their their league like a like a WHL league. So we don't even compare this. But if you look at the NOL, the North American Hockey League, the CHL, those are the two leagues right now, uh, in my opinion, that are one and two in North America. So these players are coming into BC. BC is a very good league. Yep. So you have to be exceptional play in that league. Uh, and, you know, most of these teams are carrying three scholarship players. Their lineup is between 12 and 7. Committed players every year. The Division One U.S. Hockey. And then most of these players play one or two years, and they draft in the NHL. So the level is extremely high. So I, that's, how you, that's pretty comparable, comparable, you know, when we talk about the national J20 and where those players fit in. I think the only difference uh, between BC and the national program is that we're just over here. We're just a little more physical yep. and puck, puck retrieval is emphasized a lot in Canada and possession is also emphasized in Sweden, which I like that. That's why I wrote the game. But I also think that the Canadian game, and I can't, I can't speak for the, the null, the North American League, because they're skilled too. But I think both leagues will play more physical. And that's where the adjustment the, Swe the Swedish players have to make. At our level, uh, at the regional level, you know, now it, it drops down. But our top guys are, 
our top three or four players could play in the BC League, but they wouldn't be first line players. They would be third and fourth line players. Uh, obviously, would, they would move up, uh, you know, depending on their mentality, because there's that adjustment when you when you switch countries and both ways. This isn't a Canadian thing. This is just a human being thing. Like, and people get, oh, well, the Swedes can't, you know, the Euros can't play in North America. It's not true. It's all about individual people. It's how they're socialized and coming into the country. So you're a really good agent or advisor. You need to be surrounded by uh, people all the way. The team you select, the coach, the manager, the owner, the assistant coaches in Canada, they have to be completely aware of the work they have to do to get these guys socialized bring them into their culture, and then get to play at the level they expect. It takes work, but when you do that, you're going to get a really good hockey player. Because one thing about the Leeds, they're really disciplined in how they practice and their behavior. When the coaches, the players listen, and they do what the coach says. And, so, um, so so let me it's, let me it's impressive. Let, let, let me ask you about the – so, all right – what about when you go down to J20 region? Let, let, let's explain to that the J20 national, there's not that many teams in Sweden at that level. No. no. And and the difference, so for example, at the J18, there is no J18 national. Uh, uh, so there you have J18 region. And after Christmas, you take the top teams and they become the national. But in J20, all the SHL teams are – they have an automatic spot at the J20. Uh, yeah. So there's not that many teams in J20 National, which means there's a lot more team at the region, which used to be called J20 Elite. But right. J20 Region – so how does the J20 Region stack up uh, in uh, versus Canada? Yeah, it's a good question, and I and I think. Uh, well, what's the difference? Quick is, yeah, what's the difference? Top, it's going to be. Yeah, your national in J twenty national. It's you know you could take ten players from that lineup, and they could fit anywhere and play junior in Canada anywhere, and especially at the high like the null the North American Hockey League, the BCHL, the Alberta Junior Hockey League. Those players can all play at that level and do well. And hold their own, and once they get uh, acclimatized to the Canadian game, they'll dominate because there's, they're they're taught so well at at the regional level. This is how why it's so important to have this level, because now you're not going to get ten players. You're going to get your top three players or four players that can come over to Canada to play. So it, it drops off, but because there's so many teams. And the coaching's getting better because guys are becoming more educated. Reaching out to these coaches and saying, we have to do a better job, not just skill-wise, but we have to do a better job mentally. And that's where we're behind, everywhere. It's not, it's not, this is not a Swedish thing. This is like a worldwide issue uh, that it's got to come. We've got to, we've got to fix it. And I think now more people are talking about how important it is to work with your athletes mentally as a coach. So the days when I played, you know, I played for guys that yelled and screamed at me. And of course, when I, you know, when I broke in as a young coach, you coached how you were, but that's, you know, times have evolved. And, you know, here we are 30 years later, I can tell you that, yeah, it's, it's actually a better way of coaching players because you, uh, you really, when you dig in on them and you in uh, your time, they appreciate it. And I find that players, you know, back in the old days, they did it through fear. They played through in fear, and and that's yeah, and that's just like we're not we're not criticizing anybody because that's just the way it was. Well, I, I, I'm a little bit curious about. Too. I don't blame coaches for any of this. Like it's the culture, but the culture, the culture. Sorry. Yeah, the culture has no, evolved and. I'm a little bit curious, Brian, about, I mean, how how many years have you been coaching since really I'm looking at your elite prospects, 95 first year, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, 30 a, years, 30 years this year. 30 up. years. But, and I'm curious to, to like, 
what I hear is is enthusiasm about continuous learning, right? Yeah. And and and, and how different was it for you to come into this culture and this in Sweden and how much have you learned as a coach, even though you've been doing this oh, for, yeah. for a long time? Yeah. You have, you have to change and you have to all analyze yourself and you, and really got and not be hard on yourself, but you got to critique yourself and say, okay, what areas, you know, do I, am I, what are my strengths and then what are my weaknesses? And you've got to surround yourself with good people that can help you with your weaknesses because you can't do everything. no one's perfect there's no such thing so you're also as good as the people that are around you so i found you know when i was younger you know you're you're, uh, you're not sure you're not programmed you know you've never had any mentorship there is no there was no coaching levels i mean it was it was just like bare bones and the more you get involved in the national coaching certification program in canada and there's ones that we go to in Faliastad because we affiliate with Faliastad in Omo. So every year, to, uh, twice a year, there's a coaching seminar, and they're edu- constantly talking about ways to improve. And everybody's brainstorming, and there's new ideas. So when you sit down around a table and a bunch of coaches start talking about, you know, is there a better way? Well, we're not going to reinvent a wheel, but there's a there's always a better way to deal with your athletes. Some of them, you know, are more sensitive than others. Some of these players are just give me the information and I don't want to talk anymore. And, uh, and some of them have their emotions buried deep inside them. And it takes time and it's all about trust. So you got to work through it to gain the trust. So here's an analogy with my guys. I said, it's not a matter how much I know, because I, I really think I understand the game well and continue to work hard at it. It's how much I care about you. I can only show you i can't talk about it because the actions speak louder than so you have to you have to show them by those actions and that and then they 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 latch on to you and that's when you they they sold they sell those up and then you can get them to play any way you want because i have my sweets blocking shots and like to block shots right <laughs> i mean we play defense we we, we defend our goaltender and we won't leave the zone because we have a philosophy in how we play. So, I mean, do you think they liked that when I first came in? <laughs> no way, right? They wanted to – somebody wanted to go cherry pick at the far blue line so he could – you know, it's the easy way out. But the team wasn't successful. The individual wasn't successful. So we just changed, you know, modified some of these things, but also allowed them to be themselves. And yeah. be the people they are. I didn't want to. I didn't want to respect that. I love their personalities because the quirkiness about people is what's fun about having a relationship with them. Yeah. So we don't want to be clones. We want these young people to uh, understand that it's good to be who you are, and we're not judging you for it. And that's what's so fun about coaching for me now because I'm on the other side looking at this going. You know, now I think I've got a formula on how I do it. Um, you know, where before you're constantly like, should I be this way? Should I be that way? And I tell I, all my advice to these young coaches, you have to be yourself. And don't yeah. try and clone to be somebody else. So you're not Joe Quenville. You're not, you know, um, yeah, Babcock. The coach in, Babcock or the guy in Florida. You know, yeah. he's, I mean, or the, the coach in, uh, in uh, uh, Vegas. You know, you're not these guys. You 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 are who you are, and be yourself. Because I think I find a lot of coaches make these mistakes. What What do you think is the? Uh, and they're trying, you, you know, because somebody said you got coach like this. You need you need to coach the style. And I go, no, you don't. You need to coach the way you know you want to coach. So so, what do you think is the difference, or or is there a difference between the players, or or the 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 the, the commonalities between the players that you've met in Sweden versus when you coached in France or when you coached in, in, in BC. Yeah, I think, uh, I think the change started for me was uh, probably 2000. I'm going to say about 2007 is when I thought 
an evolution on how the players it, there's a yeah they I feel the players at the point were okay we're gonna we're gonna do what you ask of us we want to know why yeah and it started about there so before there was no why this is how we're gonna play okay uh, here's the drill let's go and okay it was a bunch of cattle you know going to get a, the grain but about 2007 saw a change an evolution of uh you know the intellect of these players start coming through where they're going okay but why so then it's like okay we have to explain why and then of course that was like oh we can't do that because you know these guys uh they're the inmates are running the asylum and it's like no no they're not i think what we have to understand is they want to build a relationship with you the players want from you they they just don't want to be number 16 on the ice they want to be that, you know, number 16 and the name, you know, yeah. there's the last name. And inside that Jersey, you know, what makes that guy go. So that's when it started. And I think once we got into, when I went to France in 2012, then there was another movement and it was why, why do we have to do it and explain it, explain in detail why. So there's a why and and then I, I need me. I need more feedback on why you're making it. Do it. What's it going to do for me? How is it going to make me better? So there's a why, and then a why of the explanation to how is it going to benefit me, coach? And I saw that happen in about 2014. So I knew this was coming, and I just kept, you know, like I'm like you. I think we both are nerds in hockey, and. Um, you know, you're reading all the time and you're listening. Like I read all these, uh, especially guys that have been around or, you know, and they're sharing all this good information. It, like just got to be a sponge and read it all. And then, you know, you process it and you compute what you need and you spit the rest out. And it's, and you could see the change was there. Now the players are dynamic. We have social media. They're, they're informed everywhere. They're comparing this against you versus what you said to the other five players in the one-on-one -on -one meeting that you had in the week. They're talking all the time. So as a coach, you have to be all, always transparent with your players. Always tell them the truth. You want to make sure that you give them uh, a directive where they can, they can meet the directive, that you're not trying to give them something where there's no way they can get their teeth in it because they'll, they'll really struggle emotionally. And uh, these players also... They want to be pushed. And so maybe there's a misconception, you know, okay, are they a little bit softer? The word I, I hear a lot is soft. Well, they're different. It's a different group. Yeah. And some players, when we played, they were the same way. So when we say, you know, they're soft today, well, back when I played, it, it was the same. So <laughs> I, like I can reflect back on guys I played with. Well, there was guys that didn't want to go in the corner and get the puck and they were skilled guys. There was big, strong defensemen that would, you know, bulldoze you over wherever you were on the ice. And it's the same here today. The difference is, is that the information that young people have, it's everywhere. They're informed. You can't fool them. You can't trick them. And if you do, you're going to lose them. And they shut you out immediately. And that's what's happening in the NHL, in my opinion today, is that it's a friendship, but it's almost like you have to – bend and flex like an oak tree and you know ask their opinion they still respect that that there's a ter that there's a, a border of you know this is your territory we know you're the coach so we uh, we know you have to do a job and you it's not an easy job because you're under pressure when you've got the general manager you've got the ownership group but i think the player today they're informed and but they want to be pushed and they still want to be disciplined and I think there's, in my opinion, I think maybe that's a little bit lost. They think that the players are, are we've gone to the other side of this thing, you know, we're, we're too soft on them or we're, we're too forgiving. I don't know if soft's the right word, but they're too forgiving or, you know, uh, we, 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 we bury things under the rug. And, I, and I'm not sure, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but I think that, 
does happen. But generally speaking, from my experience, you you got to show these guys that you care about them. You got to listen to them and listen to where they're at. And then you want to make sure that when you're coaching them, that you know you get them in a role where they can they can succeed. So, and but they're gonna have to they're gonna have to do the tough thing. They're gonna have to work hard. And I tell my guys, we're not gonna compromise work ethic. We're not gonna compromise punctuality. And we're not going to compromise respect. These three elements, that's all the rules I have. I have no other rules. These are the rules we have, the same. And if you are the same, then you will become a better player. Uh, but mostly you're going to grow as a person because they're going to figure things out emotionally. Right? They're young. Brain harnesses and developed in a male till he's 25. So we're dealing with irrational ideas, you know, as the day goes along. So as a coach, you've got to be grounded. You got you you are that's why you are the leader. You have to show that this is the direction we're going. Today. And even if you're struggling, be consistent and talk to them and explain it's okay to struggle. It's okay to go through adversity. But this is what we need to do to elevate ourselves out of it. And it's coming, it all comes down to work ethic. 100% work ethic. So let's segue this into the conversation on your other role, because I think that there's a, there's a lot of strong correlations between you, the coach, and the general manager, but then also your family advisor. So give a little background on how do you how did you got into that, and how does that differ, or does it differ? That's a good, really good question. Um, the advisor is big. Help me. I'm a better person. I, I honestly believe that. Like everywhere. I, I mean, I'm like a I'm like a, a beetle with antennas now. I'm so uh, aware of what's happening in my surroundings. I can walk into a dressing room, and I can feel tension, or I can feel joy. Uh, I can I can look around, and I can spot people within seconds, and I know who to target. I know the hot spots are, the trouble areas are, because you know you get them for. Let's face it. You get you get to see them for two and a half hours, a day. unless you're on a big road trip or you're doing off ice training or video. That might be three and a half hours in the day. The rest of the time, they're with their friends. They're at school. They're in their environment. They're at work doing a, a work course, and you don't know what's going on. You don't know what happens. But when they come to the rink, this is kind of has to be, you know, where they can come and feel safe, and they can come and let their hair down, so to speak, and and uh, and put all their worries in a shoebox, if you will. Come and have fun. And if they come to the rink and that, that environment's not, you know, part and parcel of how you're how you're gonna run your hockey club, if it's too too intense, then these players don't feel that that's a release for them. And I think that's why players quit hockey. That's one of the reasons. There's other reasons, but from my experience, you know, watching this now for a number of years. But I think as an advisor, I'm able now, you know, coach everybody because I have a small group of clients that I work with and I coach them every day. And it's not about, okay, you're going to go play in uh, Vernon, British Columbia with the Viper. You're going to play in, you know, Bonneville, Alberta, or you're going to play in, you know, Gothenburg, you know, or or even Malibu in the, in the G20 national team. You're not like that's, we talk about, you know, tr like just life, real life events that are taking place and the struggles or the fears they have because they don't understand, you know, how to navigate themselves through a tryout or it could be, you know, pressure from friends. It could be pressure at home. So many things happen in their day that they become overwhelmed. So as an advisor, I don't just advise players, I advise parents. Because you got to get them settled down too, because they are the apple tree, and if the apple tree is not well, then the apple that comes off it is going to be unhealthy too. So we need a nice, healthy apple tree. So when the apple comes off it, it's nice and you know it's red, and it's a bit, it's a nice, juicy, big, healthy. So we want that the correlation between mom and dad and and the and the player. We want that. We want harmony between them. So, and because a lot of them, they lock the horns. This is how the opinion of the parent is, and the opinion of the 
young man. And of course, you know, we were all 17, 18. We knew everything. I mean, we all did. <laughs> so, you know, but that's where my job comes in too, because I help ground these young guys to say, look, that's not reality. You, you, you don't, you're, you're listening, you're re living in a fantasy and that's not how it's going to go out there. Here's how it goes. So they go and listen to this mumble jumble. And then when they talk to me, I'm like the salt and pepper chips, right? Bring and, but I give this sincere and a shot in the arm of honesty and uh, respect at the same time. So I bring them back down to where they need to go. And so the parents are also part of that process. And so that's what I do as an advisor. And that's how it affects me as a coach, because uh, now I think that I can really multitask when I'm doing this job. Like I can really see things that I did when I was younger. Um, I'm able to handle things that uh, it's like a pressure cooker to the outside person. Like, you know, you're if you hear something and go, I don't know how he deals with it. Well, when you're conditioned and you're trained to deal with it every day, and you solve the problem. So I'm not going to fix everything, but yeah. generally we can, we can, there's no such thing as can't. We can almost get everything fixed. So it's not pressure. It's just, it's the challenges of life. It's the obstacles in the road. You know, the road to the road that's under construction. It's always, there's always going to be something, you, you know, your journey down the road is all, there's always going to be a hiccup. So you've got to also take it as, you know, for me, take it as, okay, what can I learn from this? And I, and what is it going to do to make me better? So if I, if I, for instance, I, you know, I tell our goalies, you know, they let a goal in or something, or they're down on themselves, or their team takes a penalty, they, and goalies are like, why is he so undisciplined? I said, oh, this is awesome. I talked to one of my goalies, and he goes, what are you talking about? I go, well, it, this is a great moment for you. Well, what do you mean? I go, you have a chance now to be the best league killer on the team. And you should embrace that moment. So I tell all our, all our clients, I said, you know, or I suggest to our clients, instead of like this being a negative, here's an opportunity for you to do something in at this in that moment. In that moment to help your team kill that penalty, be the best. Challenge yourself positively. And yeah. I think sometimes we take all the negative, everything's so negative, we draw so much negative energy that it's like a ship, you know, in the ocean and you, you have a rudder and you have the sails, but we don't have the motor operating. So we're relying on the wind. And sometimes when the wind comes and it's a big gust of wind, that's the negativity coming at you. And instead, you know, hanging on to your steering mechanism, you let, let it go and your ship goes in the direction of that negativity. So you got to steer your ship through that heavy wind. And you got to keep yourself on track. You got to keep that ship navigating to the, you know, the GPS of where you're you're headed. And it's the same thing in for these young guys. Easier said than done. Yeah. But I think when they're around people that understand these things and have been through it, and that's where experience comes in. Uh, then over time, they see that the reference points are huge. And they live it. And then they come back to you and say, you wouldn't believe I just, it's almost like deja vu. And I go, it is, it is. <laughs> and that's the way it's supposed to be. So it's, it's good that this is happening for them, that they go through adversity. We want them to scrape their knee. We want them to fall down. So all the parents listening, it's okay for your kids to, to have setbacks. Don't stand over top of them and figure it out all the time. Let the, And then if they make the wrong choice, they're going to learn. And that's also how you help build leadership. What? So the most of the people that you're working with now, are they in BC or are you kind of now when you've been gone for I mean, I know you come back during the summers, but how does that work? Or, or who's your clients now? Most of them are my Canadian guys. I mean, I have a few. I, I, I place like, so what happens we get a few of these guys are graduating from university and they need to be placed. So yeah. I, um, yeah, they contract me out quickly and I get them, I get them placed to a team in Sweden. I've got some good contacts through there. Now I'm able to, 
you know, help uh, locate positions for players. And um, it's quick. It's in and out. But I have a core group of guys that I've been with. Small number, small, small number. They're, most of them have been with me since they've been young. So we just, it's each level. So it could be coming out of minor hockey, and then they go to the first rung of junior. Now they're in junior A. Uh, some of these guys are going, some of them are going to go to college now. Division one in the next uh, couple of days, we should have an announcement of one of our players going to the NCAA on a, on a scholarship. So, I mean, this is, yeah, the, it's the process I take them down. But I think also it's the relationship we form. Jacob, uh, the the players stay with me. They, I, I have a relationship and well, and, and I, stay with. So it's I'm, great I, to have that. I, yeah, and I, I mean, th- like you're describing, there's there's two different kinds of, of of players to advise. One is the quick one, where it's more transactional or more player. You, you have a need because of relationship. You have a team that needs a player, and you hear of a player yeah. and you get them, and you you're you're matchmaker. Yeah. Uh, different yeah. that's a different than what you're talking about yeah that then yeah those a- yeah those guys are older right so i mean a, a team will call me in sweden and say hey, we need a you know a forward so then i like yeah i know i just through people through teams through managers owners you know they say a player that really good young guy you do the research on them. Also, though, I trust, you know, you have a relationship with these guys for years, right? So yeah. these managers or owners, you just, it's like a pipeline, right? You just know them. You don't need, after a while, you're, you know how to operate. So you know they're going to be straight up and honest with you. Because the biggest thing is when you send a player over to Sweden or anywhere, it, the character of the person's first and foremost, in my, uh, when I do work with these players, I your character is number one. You're not going for a holiday. You we want you to enjoy the country, but you're going there to make an impression on the team, to work, to practice hard, to be punctual, to be show them you're the best player on the team, and to practice extra, and to help out in to, with the youth kids in practice and work with them, and spend as much time socializing yourself in that in, in, and emerging yourself in that Swedish culture especially with those kids, because if you do it, they'll come to the games and they'll be screaming your name because the kids love the attention and they know that you're from Canada. And, and there's already a, you know, an aura about, you no. Know, and again, so I don't, it's not about putting anybody in the pedestal. The Swedes just do it. They go oh, from Canada. Yeah. Oh, you're a great hockey player. It's, it, it's synonymous with, you know, with who you with Canada and hockey, right? It's that connect instant connection. So if you embrace yourself with those young kids and you're Canadian or an American or whatever, they just they'll just eat it up and you'll be best friends with those kids. I've you know as a coach there, you know, I'll go into the dress rooms and I I a little positive pep talk and so the kid because I don't even know who some of the kids are, right? Some of us are on their young, but I'll be walking Omo. And all of a sudden, I hear three kids yelling my name, and I'm like, "What the heck's going on?" But it's the kids that, when I went in their room and gave them the the inspirational, "Let's get fired up to play," and you know, hot, and giving everybody a pound, going across the room. Well, they love it. So that's also what these players have to do. They have to understand yeah. you're going there. You make the impression. The more you do, the the better your career could become. There, you can make a living for yourself. But first impressions are everything with the suite. They won't say nothing. They'll sit back. They'll be polite to you, but they there's the boundary. <laughs> yeah, they, you're not going past them. You need to initiate something to bring yourself into into that uh, into their circle, their inner circle. So I'm pretty open. Yeah, Jacob. I I'm like I'm poli- I think I'm polite and friendly, and I talk to everybody. So instantly, I just tried to say okay i'm going to go in there i'm going to make a i'm going to make an impression not because it's you know an acting scene because this is who you are and yeah and you can you know you can leave a footprint you know you can leave a footprint a thumbprint what a handprint all over this and you can make an impact and change maybe way some of the things that they do for the better 
for the better. And you can learn all the way. You're learning all the time. So, so I, I know we've been going on for, for about an hour, but I'm, I'm curious to kind of maybe wrapping this up here and say, so you've been there three years, you're starting on your fourth. Uh, are you a Swede for life or, uh, or uh, what's your, what's your prediction? I'm sorry, you cut out there. Yeah, no, I was, I, since you've been there for, for three years now, starting your fourth and, uh, and uh, you, you kind of make gotten some traction there, but are you uh I know British Columbia is nice, but are you a Swede for life, or uh, what's your, what's the prediction here? Yeah, <laughs> you you have to ask Frederick Grin that because <laughs> he, he keeps dropping these hints to me about all this. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think you just you know, for me, you just gotta enjoy every moment that you have, and and I think what happens a lot, you know, now everybody knows everybody, we're comfortable. Uh, for me, I you know, I just want to go back there and. I think there's, uh, you know, there's some things we can do within the program, the infrastructure of the program and the development model. I think we can even improve it more. And we're going slow, right? Because that's the good thing about me, I think, is I've gone slow there and I, I haven't upset the apple cart because I think they don't like that. They wanted everything A, C, D. So we're about D now. So we got to go to E. And, um, you know, I do want to make some changes. Uh, and I think, you know, they're very much more open now to see that we have to take the club to another level in terms of – and everybody looks at wins, right? I mean, the club has not been a successful one at the youth level except for this past season. The U13s were – U14s were exceptional. and did. But up until then, I mean, you know, it's, it hasn't been um, – very rewarding, but we're, we're getting closer because we, we've changed the way we practice. Uh, we we changed the way we've implemented drills. Like instead of always teaching skill, we have to teach IQ. Like put the boys and girls into a scenario of a game environment when you take time and space away and you put them under pressure. Now you teach puck protection. Now you teach puck support to your line mates. So you do it all together rather than you know, one player, a puck, and a pylon. Unfortunately, it's great to teach it, and I, I am a big believer in it. But you also have to teach players how to play under pressure and learn how to play together. Yeah, and that's the thing I, I've noticed the difference. In, if there's one thing that I've recognized between Canada and everybody else, Jacob, is Canada finds a way to win. We'll yeah. do whatever it takes. I don't think we're any better than anybody else. I don't think we're better skilled. I don't think we shoot the puck better. I don't think we do anything better. I think we're pretty comparable to every country, and especially now that hockey's really evolved everywhere. It, the United States is amazing. The Swedes, you know, I mean, look at the Germans. The Latin Hockey is where there's a lot of parity. The difference... I can say is that we will do whatever it takes. And that's why we win. Yeah. So I brought a little bit of that to, to Omo. <laughs> in a fun way. In a fun in way. A fun <laughs> way. Well, here, uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, so one of the new segments that, that we're added in this season two, it's amazing. We've done this for a year, started kind of as a fun thing, really to educate and inform. And that's still the goal, but we partnered up with with an organization. We did a couple of a couple of episodes back with James Reason on Target Aid. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna connect with you. Uh, Target Aid is an organization that does fundraising with sports organizations. And what we're starting to do is each guest can pick an organization or a Target Aid uh, fundraising effort. It could be the Borea Salming Foundation, and we're going to partner up with Target Aid and emphasize that uh, and and help spread spread the word. The other part is that if you have your own uh, Target Aid fundraising um, uh, event, then we'll we'll partner up with that and and spread the word as well. So uh, yep. so we'll 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 connect with that. It, we're at the infancy of this, so so you're the first one. And uh, and I didn't tell you ahead of time, so or we would have had a 
conversation and and so on. So look up Target Aid. Uh, I think it's targetaid.com. They've got a lot of uh, traction with with youth organizations when it comes to to fundraising and and we can get you connected there with James and set up a uh, if you for example, you may want to collect money for a shooting ramp um or or painting the locker room or something and and they have they have a platform where they can easily spread that message uh, out there, which is pretty cool. Uh, which is why I, I, really I, I really, um, I really like the platform that they have and, and so on. So I want to make sure that we can do that with each guest. So, uh, yeah, cool. Thanks. Brian, thanks for spreading the British Columbian joy. Um, it's your passion is spot on. It's, it's what we need in Sweden. So thanks a bunch. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. I really enjoyed this uh, time with you today. Mm -hmm.